Welcome to the Dash Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Gamage, and our goal is to provide you with challenging, meaningful, significant conversation on how to bridge the gap in education. Joining us today to help bridge that gap is Mr. Rian Gibson, Assistant Principal in DeKalb County, Illinois. Uh, we were just talking a little bit. He went to Northern Illinois University. I myself went to Miami University. I, I was recruited to play football by Northern Illinois. They never pulled the trigger on me, so um, that's okay. That's all right, though. Mr. Rion, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Mr. Gamage. Um, although I am an assistant principal, it, uh, it isn't in DeKalb County. It isn't uh, the Winnebago County, but I did uh, was a school counselor in uh, DeKalb County for quite some time. Gotcha, gotcha. My, my mistake, my mistake. I, and I see your assistant principal role, it, that's pretty new to you, correct? Yes, sir. What kind of changes have you seen moving from a counselor to an assistant principal role? Uh, really, um, a lot of balancing, you know, um, as a school leader, you got to learn how to develop a, a unique balance when it comes to the time that you spend um, and managing both home life as well as, you know, um, implementing school initiatives, you know, can be a, a delicate balance, you know, because you don't want to lose track of uh, home while you're making students be successful mm. in school. Mm. But uh, there is much more time and much more intensity in the school leadership capacity. I would definitely agree with that. Gotcha, gotcha. So you you spend a little your hours are a little bit longer now. Oh yes, you know, um, sometimes twelve, thirteen hours a day. You know, if not okay. longer. So yeah. Okay. Now, how'd you how'd you make that transition? Was it always a goal for you to be a principal or in school leadership? Oh, that's a great question. You know, um, initially, um, I became a school counselor because I was introduced into the educational field as a paraprofessional after receiving my bachelor's degree in sociology. And as a paraprofessional, um, I used to work with students at a therapeutic day school, and oftentimes they would um, need to be de-escalated and they would have some crises, and we would have mm -hmm. to oftentimes refer them to social workers. And in doing so, one day I was talking to a student and de-escalating them and understand what, understanding what his problem was was and he told me you know I just wish somebody would understand me the way I understood myself mm. and um, that that just left a really um, that was an impactful statement that really changed the trajectory in my life and made me go back to school to get more knowledge so that I can help individuals like that and wow. uh, that let me get my um, master's degree in school counseling and um, you know to be a counselor and uh, lay that foundation for other students as well. Wow, that that's that is powerful. I wish somebody understood me the way that I understand myself. So you kind of stumbled into education, is what it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, although I do come from a family of educators, it was never my goal or intention to to, to be in education. Um, I wanted to do initially. I wanted to be a lawyer, uh, which is why I got my bachelor's degree in um, sociology, emphasis criminal justice, um, but law schools were hefty. NIU was costing, I want to say like 50000 a year or 25 k a semester or something, something like that. Wow. Um, so um, while working as a school counselor, what led me into educational administration, um, it was during a time period where when you look on TV, you see a lot of um, negative portrayals of um, African-Americans and their conflicts with uh, police authority. Mm -hmm. And um, after seeing that over and over again in my home life while watching the news and hearing you know, various articles and things of that nature, um, I started to notice that my culture in my school was changing. Mm 
and that the African-American students start to, to develop an adversarial relationship with the school resource officers. Mm. And mm. Um, as they're in the building navigating, you know, they're there to help us and serve us and educate our kids and uh, assist us. And they're a great asset and, um, to, to be used in schools. And what they would encounter is students saying negative things to them just by them just walking past them. Yeah. And um, so hearing that and noticing that that was an issue, I decided, you know, what, what am I going to do with this? We could have this issue continue or I could try something innovative. So well, I've always been a creative and imaginative individual when it comes down to thinking of uh, solutions to help with situations. So I was thinking like, hey, you know, I see this guy in a, in, a, in, a, in a uniform and you may perceive him one way, but there may be many different facets to that one individual. So um, I thought I came up with the idea that, you know, we should have a staff versus uh, police uh, basketball game, invite mm. the students, they get to see the police in a different capacity mm. and, you know, pick their side, vote, have some fun with it. Um, so we ended up doing that. And uh, I went to my school leader at the time who was a principal named Tom Kim he loved the idea and he was like you know he actually added another layer to the idea which was great he said you know what let's do that and not only are we going to do that we're going to do that around Christmas time or holiday times because mm. it depends on if your school celebrates holidays or not so we're just going to use the politically correct term holiday time and um, you can say hey we're going to do it around holiday time and we're going to pair it with a group called Toys for Tots and the entrance to get into the game is just an unopened toy Wow. So we ended up doing that. Um, we ended up raising a lot of toys for uh, unfortunate families. And that one event was so successful, it became an annual event. Mm. And then not only that, we started seeing a huge decrease in students' negative interactions with our school resource officers. So I thought just one idea of me sitting at home watching a problem on the TV, bringing it to a school leader and us, you know, um, partnering our minds together was it um, effectively patched the issue that was happening in our building right. and that right there motivated me to go into school leadership so I could make those decisions without having to you know go to my school leader and get it like I could be the school leader yeah 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 that's powerful well and, and you mentioned de-escalating earlier what you know when when you're thinking about um, you know student behavior that's that's a big deal for me as well we, we have to keep students in the classroom and, and uh, really building the whole students from that restorative justice kind of standpoint. What, what are some of those strategies that you use? That's a, that's a great school-wide example that you have. Um, what are some of the other ways and things that you do to help de-escalate, de-escalate student behavior and build that rapport to understand them the way they understand themselves? You know, uh, that's a great question. And I think that um, one of the things that we do is oftentimes when you have an adversarial relationship or when a teacher and a student are having a conflict, the one thing that is involved in that conflict is that power. You know, and you really want to take that power struggle out of the situation because oftentimes that just creates the teachers wants to one up the student, the student wants to one up the teacher. If we're trying to get one up on each other, we're never going to be on an equal playing field. And no one ever is going to feel respected at the way to the degree that they like to. So taking the power out of power struggles is one example of doing so. Also, just developing that um positive rapport with a student at the beginning of the year. One of the strategies that I learned about in my um my educational administration uh, master's degree program was uh, a two by 10. And what a two by 10 is, is that teachers um, at the middle school level, we have teams. I'm not sure if you guys have teams on the East Coast um, in South Carolina or not, but uh, we have teams 
which like each teachers, like there's a science, social studies, language arts, and math teacher. They're all one team. So all the students on that uh, team will have those teachers. Mm -hmm. So for parent conferences, you could just schedule one meeting and be able to meet with all core content curriculum teachers. Yeah. And, um, and also it just gives them a, a avenue to problem solve as well. But utilizing that model, um, those teachers can identify students that are um, at risk or slipping through the cracks or not succeeding academically mm -hmm. or having behavioral issues. And once you identify those students, then the, the, the objective of two to 10 is you want to meet with that student for two minutes a day, 10 days in a row to build a positive rapport. And you're not mm -hmm. talking to them about educational components. Uh, you're just talking to them about, you're letting that student educate you about him. What are you interested in? What are some of the music you like? You know, we give out icebreakers to the teachers so that way they can um, feel comfortable having that conversation because sometimes if they don't know that student, it's a little hard, it's uncomfortable for them to just walk up and start talking to that student. Yeah. You know, and, this, and uh, a lot of teachers will say, well, that, that takes time out of my day. This could happen in the natural course of a, of a general class period. While all the students are working, you could just stop by that student, have that conversation then. Or during the four-minute passing period while everyone is going to mm -hmm. class, you may have that student back. You talk to him, write him a pass. He goes to class. And um, what we thought, what we saw in doing that, we saw an increase in attendance. We saw a decrease in ODRs, mm -hmm. which is offices, office dif discipline referrals. Um, and teachers were able to establish relationships with students who oftentimes have a very unique home life setting. And um, they, they felt a sense of uh, belongingness in the schools, which right. those power struggles, decreased those behaviors. Because oftentimes, if you feel powerless in your home life, you're going to try to regain or retain some power elsewhere. And genuinely, it could be through inadequate means. So we want to meet your needs and let you know that you're just uh, as important to us yeah. uh, in the school setting even if you don't feel that way elsewhere. Yeah, that's that's powerful. Did you have a hard time getting teachers to buy into that concept or that method? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, initially, initially, absolutely, you know. Um, but I think that's with many initiatives, you know. But one thing that I've learned in life is that, you know, especially as a leader, you know, um, typically if it meets three criteria, you know, I got to stand for it. You know, um, if it comes from, if I'm done, if I'm doing it with good intentions, you know, and if it's rooted in truth and if it's something that I can um, defend that's based in data, then that's something, if it meets those three criteria, then I'm willing to take that stand on mm -hmm. it. So oftentimes when you have those initiatives, you're going to get a little pushback because I'm going to be honest, sometimes teachers do feel overwhelmed, yeah. you know, they're bombarded with assessments. They're bombarded with state standards, pacing guides, you know, trying to teach their content area and manage behaviors. You know, it's a very difficult uh, job that you have to multitask at. So um, implementing any initiatives can be very difficult. However, I explained to them, like, you know, the effectiveness that uh, this initiative can have. And, you know, we may front load some of this work now, but yeah. you'll benefit from it later. Yeah. And, you know, um, it ended up working pretty well. You know, initially the, the main problem was implementing it with fidelity because, you know, sometimes they may start off strong, but get to the third or fourth day where you have to meet with the student in a row, then all of a sudden you may get really busy. And it's like, you know, you got to make that time. Really, it has to be 10 days in a row, you know, and um, to, to really make a strong effective change and to make that student feel like, hey, this person really cares for who I am as a person and not just for their agenda items, their homework being complete or, or this test being taken. Like they want to be seen as uh, humans and adults. I mean, humans as well. And um, 
in doing so, you know, the teachers were able to buy into that. Man, we were able to make a positive impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's real. So when with your situation now going in as a principal, did you start at the beginning of the year or were you able to start at the beginning or uh, in the middle of the year? Beginning you know, uh, you know, um, I started in the, uh, the middle of the year because, you know, I got my educational administration degree in August. So the school year was already going. You know, I'm a school counselor. I literally just got my second master's degree. So I'm advocately, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm looking every day for a position. And then, you know, this position popped up in the middle of the year. And I started a little bit after Christmas um, holiday break um, in February. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a smooth transition. You know, and uh, and working with going from a secondary level to a primary level, like you see the importance of having a foundation that's very, 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 very strong. Yeah. I think Frederick Douglass, which is one of my um, favorite scholars of all time, said that, you know, it's easier to build strong children than repair broken men. And I mm. think that if you have a solid foundational um, understanding of education at a very young age, you're already set off to have a good trajectory in life. And oftentimes what we see ourselves doing, especially at the secondary level, you're trying to repair those situations, which, you know, they may have 13, 14 years under the belt of going in a different direction. And it's yeah. hard to steer right before they get into the high school realm. So, yeah. Yeah. So what were what were some of the um what were some of the key pieces of your transition from both being a guidance counselor to a principal and from secondary to primary? You've got a that, that's those are completely different worlds, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, as a, as a school counselor, you know, you're definitely just more so concerned about the student and, you know, dealing with the home life and really just being that that uh channel for that student to kind of just express themselves. You mm -hmm. know. And honestly, you know, as a school leader, I think my ability to to understand students uh, assist me with being a school leader, you know, yeah. because you're able to see what students really need. And also, um, as a school counselor, like, you're trained and, uh, you know, you have thousands of hours of this, this kind of training of just being unbiased, being mm -hmm. able to hear many different points of views and not implement your point of view to judge a different point of view, yeah. you know, your point of view at the door. And I think that really assisted me with the current role that I have now because uh, mm -hmm. hearing these students, but, but you know what, what, what I also would like to say is, um, is this, and I'll take a step back a little bit for the, cause I really didn't understand this and know this until I went to the primary realm, but I just fell in love with how it operates. And what I realized that um, there's a huge distinction between adults and kids. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, uh, have you ever read the uh, book, Peter Pan? I haven't read it, but I've seen the movie. Okay. So, so you've seen that movie hook then, right? Yes, indeed. Okay. And uh, the, the one thing that the kids didn't, didn't ever want to do uh, in Peter in that movie, Peter Pan or Hook, um, they didn't want to grow up. And mm. they felt like growing up, you lose all your imagination, you lose yeah. all your creativity. And I didn't realize how much the concepts in that book and that movie resonated with me until I got into the primary level. Mm. Because if you give a kid a pencil and you say, here's a pencil, can you go sharpen it? You watch that student walk to the to the uh, pencil sharpener. They're not going to walk in a straight line. They're going to zigzag. <laughs> they may, you know, dance a little bit, go sharpen the pencil. Like to them, the world is looks totally different. You know, yeah. if you them a chair, a couch, and a, and a cover, you know, they're going to make a fort. 
You give an adult a chair and a couch or a cover. They're either going to sit in a chair or use the cover to cover themselves up. I mean, we're very, our, our imagination, our creativity is gets limited as we transition yeah. to adulthood and we lose that somehow. So that concept of Peter Pan is very true. And what I would like to see done in um, the primary level is more teachers utilizing creativity in the classroom. Mm. Meeting those kids on that imaginary, that imaginative level that they're at, you know, and, and spicing the curriculum up so that way it cohesively gels with the students. Yeah. Because oftentimes we're talking adult talk, they're talking kid talk. That's two yeah. different languages. And we got to bridge that to make yeah. uh, an impactful change. That That's strong, you know, because I think, you know, and even I had a class I mentioned to you earlier, seventh and eighth graders, and we're, we're talking about communication with the eighth graders, or, or I guess with both of them, with eighth graders, we're talking about communicating, how you communicate with, with your peers and for the eighth graders we we're talking about, um, they were presenting speeches at, actually. So it was, it was interesting to hear just what they know and what they're afraid of now. And then going back to look at, I think earlier this week, there was a behavior incident with some first graders and the first graders were referring to, they said, oh no, this happened a long time ago. I'm like, okay, well, when was a long time ago? Like August? I shoot, you mean six months? That's, that's a long time? But yeah. as I heard somebody explain why life seems to speed up as you get older. If it's, if, and I always struggle using the analogy, but if you have a pizza or a pie, something circular, and you're, you're an infant or one-year-old, there's only one piece of pie. And then you, the, the pie doesn't change sizes, but when you're two years old, that pie is cut in half. And now it's two slices. You got two years to um, kind of bounce your ideas off of or two years of knowledge to use. When you're three, you know, that cuts in half again or you cut another slice and those slices get smaller. And for us as adults, you know, we've got 25 or 35 or 45 slices of pizza with the same size pie. So the years seem to run together with the younger folks in primary school and even middle school to, to that extent, they only have 12 pieces of pizza or five pieces of pizza. And those pieces are real big and, and there's so much that we're stuffing in those kids. So, you know, I think that's really important because the creative functioning of the child is, is what really helps the, the critical thinking, the decision-making, the executive function of those students. So, so that's, that's, that's huge. And I think from your perspective coming in mid-year, you know, I think it's easy to look at it as a disadvantage, you know, in some ways, because you don't get to build that report to start, but you kind of get a whole semester to understand your kids and understand how to go forward with the 1920 school year. Have you thought about your priming plan for 2019-2020 school year and, and what you want to see change and adjust for um, your first full year as a principal at the school? Oh, definitely. You know, um, I definitely want to, and I think this just goes, like I said, like um, this goes hand in hand with just being a counselor. Like as a counselor, you could, you get a plethora of different social emotional activities that are fun and that are engaging. And I want to use a lot of those activities um, at the start of the year to build that rapport, uh, which I'm already doing that now. Like I'm pushing in the classrooms, doing, building that rapport and uh, with the students. So I already have a really strong rapport with, with the students I work with now, but next year I want to even have an even stronger rapport by starting that first couple weeks off with, you know, it's already hard to, transition from no school to 
Now we have academic work. Yeah. So maybe have that first two weeks be a, be a, a nice amount of uh, social emotional activities to start building that camaraderie with the new teacher, the new students, and uh, doing some good icebreaker activities to get everyone to understand each other and build that community. Because that's where the classroom really is, is that community. And they want to respect their teacher as the leader. And the teacher want to respect the students for each of their individual uh, abilities and yeah. differences. So, you know, um, that, that's how I like to start off next year and, and push it strong so that way we can really get to know each other. We just had a literacy night the other night. So uh, I got to meet the parents. Um, we have some phenomenal parents. And it's just great to see, you know, um, so many active parents and active stakeholders who are right. willing to just kind of come into the building and assist with various different uh, tasks, you know, and as they're helping their, their son or daughters. You know, that, that, that's another thing that I'm looking forward to and uh, looking forward to building. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I haven't gotten used to yet is that coming from a school counselor to a, a, a school leader is just, you know, teachers view you as their boss. You know, so when you walk in the room, they straighten up and they, you know, they, they think they're being um, observed or like I'm utilizing it for an evaluation. I am their evaluator, but that that's new to me, you know, and I just like to, I'm a very lackadaisical guy. I like the fact, you know, I feel like if, if you're hired, you know, you're a professional and an expert in your content area, and I trust that, you yeah. know never gonna judge that you know and uh i like to give my um teachers the freedom to do what they like to do in the classroom you know as long as it we can all have different methodologies but as long as we're able to land on those same results to say achieve those same goals i'm all for you being the unique individual and using your own strategies to be successful right, right. Um, well that kind of goes right into to what i was going to ask next you know and <coughs> talking about building bless you bless or using those building their relationships with your students is one thing. How, how did you work to build the trust with your teachers and your support staff, administrative support staff? You know, um, really just getting them to see you as a human. Because like I said, initially, the, when I, when I, I mean, I was sitting meetings, you know, my first week there, I sit in the meeting and uh, I noticed how like a, a different uh, teachers would just sit on the opposite side of the table you know, and no one would take the chair next to you initially, you know, and it's just making them see that, hey, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not out to get you, you know, um, because, you know, depends on how they view administration, you know, they may think that and they may just have these concepts. So first thing I want to just show you is just, you know, my own genuine personal characteristics. I want to hear your issues, hear your problems. So we're going into diagnostic team meetings. We're talking about, hey, you know, what's going on? What are some of the problems that you have in your classrooms? How can I be of service? to you. Taking that one down mm-hmm. uh, allowed me to build that relationship with them. And plus, my philosophy in general was just serving leadership. Mm-hmm. There's no task too big. There's no task too small. I'm here to serve you just as much as you're here to serve those students. Right, right. You know, Although I do have an evaluator role, I don't want to ever make you feel like you don't have power in your classroom or you don't have power to be able to come to me and say an initiative that you think it will be effective. You know, so just getting them to see that I'm a human, getting them to see that they're, I'm here to work for them and not just work on um, rating them um, was something that was one of my first initial tasks to make sure that we brought that barrier down so we can make some uh, great ground going forward. Yeah. So what will you, how are you going to define your success as, as now a school leader? 
Honestly, I want them to find my sense about how many students I could change the trajectory in. I want to see students um, increase their academic performance. I want to see students reach their goals. You know, um, on, on the, the middle school level, when I was in my internship program, um, this is one of the I remember one of the questions that you had sent me previous to this uh, made me reflect on this particular circumstance. But um, there was a young man who came from Jamaica. He uh, moved from Jamaica to New York. He was in New York for a little while. And then he moved uh, to our area. And when he was there, I mean, his academic performance slumped horribly, hmm. miserably in all content areas. I would notice that um, he's not eating lunch with the other individuals. He's just sitting in the corner by himself. Um, and, you know, um, I just thought it was just, you know, I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to do a, a good job of making sure I touch base with that student. Yeah. So I touch base with that student every day. We talk to him. We build a great rapport. And, um, you know, he had some issues in regards to he didn't know where to get his lunch. He didn't know about free reduce, you know, so I was able to help him navigate through that. Um, and doing so, he started to look at me as a, as a, um, as a leadership figure. And long story short is um, at the end of his I'm not going to say the grade level, but at the end of one of his school years, um, they were willing to hold him back. They wanted to hold him back because he had slumped so hard in his academic performance. Um, but they said, you know what? We're not going to hold him back. If it happens again, then we'll hold him back. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> during that second year, I worked very diligently with that student and I talked to that student at the beginning of the year, you know, like I said, with these SEL activities and things like that. And long story short, by the midpoint of that year of me building that relationship with that student, not only did he um, open up his, uh, and he was also looking at special ed as well, mm. special education services, but not only did he open up his social circle, not only did he academically outperform and um, outgrew many of the students in the school. I mean, his grades went from all Fs to almost all As, all As and Bs. The only difference was he just didn't have that connection. Yeah. You know, and when you come to school every day feeling like you're the outcast or like there's nobody in there that cares for you or just like, and that may not even be true. That may just be your perception, but to many people, perception is reality. Yeah. So if you perceive that these individuals don't care for you, then you may um, meet that those. Is reality. Yeah, exactly. You know, and to see that that his trajectory changed from you're almost needing special education to all of a sudden you're on an AB honor roll and you're running into my office just to show me your magnet. You know, that's how I measure my success, because really uh, we're here as educators to impact your life. I mean, granted, it's in the school setting, but I want to see you become a positive, productive adult who could pay the, the lessons that I've taught you for, just as I'm doing for, for people that I encounter. Because, you know, I'm only who I am because of who taught me how to be who I am. Mm, mm. That, that's strong. What, so in that and, and knowing that that is your goal and that is how, you know, one, one example of how you can see success in education what what can you tell someone who's listening right now that may have may be transitioning from a administrative or, or teaching role to a principal a leadership role I should say or mid year or guidance counselor to that role what what can you say to help them in that trans transition or words of advice words of advice to support you know um, know yourself. You know, um, I think self-awareness self is so underestimated. Yeah. I think that it's know your weaknesses, know your strengths, know who you are. Develop a system that works for you. And that looks different for everybody. 
You know, me, I'm an early bird. I could wake up at 3 a.m. every day. I'm up by 4 a.m. every day. And I'm at work, you know, I'm one of the first people walking through the door, you know, just develop a system that, 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 um, that plays to your strengths while you're strengthening your weaknesses. Wow. As a school counselor, um, curriculum and instruction was one of my weaknesses because school counselors have different curriculum instructions than teachers do. But as a teacher evaluator, I had to strengthen my weaknesses and develop that knowledge of curriculum instruction and their pacing guides and how they model the classrooms. Mm -hmm. Is it whole center learning? Is it uh, center learning, you know, whole group or center learning? You know, I had to learn that. But all the while, I had to play to my strengths, which is that ability to build that positive rapport and make that connection with students. So I would really just say develop a heightened heightened awareness of self. Determine your own philosophy of what works for you. Is it servant leadership? Is it, you know, whatever philosophy you may feel comfortable using, you know, but learn yourself because at the end of the day, you want to be putting forth initiatives that you could be happy with. You want to be standing Mm -hmm. forward on ground that you feel is solid and foundationally, you know, holistic. So that way, you know, you're not losing yourself because you're going to get pulled in different directions. You're going to have initiative and somebody's going to be like, oh, that's not going to work. And if you don't really have a sound understanding of yourself and what your vision is and where you want to go, then you may succumb to someone else's vision and you're not fully uh, invested in it. And then you don't get the same results and then you feel regret. So really just learning yourself, learning who you are. I think that is the biggest tool Mm. in being successful. Amen. I agree so much too. We we focus a lot on on professional development, but you've got to develop the person first. If if there is no enemy within, the enemy outside can do you no harm. And oh man, that's my favorite quote. I don't even know how you knew it. That is an African <laughs> proverb. I love that quote. Thank you for saying it. Excellent. Yes, sir. I heard it from. I think I heard it from Les Brown a few years ago, a great public speaker. But that's that. It, it is such a powerful quote, and I think that's something that gets uh, misinterpreted in the professional realm you know sometimes we get too focused on data too focused on pedagogy too focused on technique and forget about the person that has the baggage the bias and the blind spot in that classroom so so getting rid of that enemy within will make handling those fires and leading your school a much better place i I appreciate you rian for um your the boldness to to make that transition in the middle of the year and to make the transition from secondary to primary school. For somebody that's listening right now and wants to get in contact with you or learn more about your school, what's the best way to do that? You know, they can always uh, contact me on LinkedIn, uh, Rion, R-H-E-O-N, Gibson, G-I-B-S-O-N. Um, also, you can also look me up at Harlem UD 122 in Illinois. You know, I'm a, that's where I'm a school administrator at, so. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for, for sharing everything. If you're an educator in transition right now, whether that transition is from administration to leadership, from a special ed to a general ed, whatever transition you're in in your life, I think this is a great episode for you to understand the foundations that you need to keep in the center of your heart to make that transition as smooth as possible. If you like it, share it with your friends, leave a comment on the podcast episode. If you're listening on iTunes, tune in, SoundCloud or TreyGamers.com. We appreciate you taking the time and we hope you come back next week. This is The Dash.